Welcome to the Light Lounge. This is Thomas. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Welcome everyone to the 2018 final and most exciting episode so far. What an amazing year 2018. I hope you brought light into darkness. You challenged yourself to overcome fears, to step into new positions and to get challenged by any opportunity that was in front of you and that you stepped in moments that scared you at the beginning but you were able to grow and become brighter out of it than before. And in this week's Light Lounge, I speak with New York City's finest. I speak with Francesca Bastianini and I speak with Alex Papas-Kalber. They are the two principals of Psyched Studio located in Brooklyn, New York City and have worked with all the big name architects from Fosters and Partners to Dilisco Fudio Renfro. So their experience and expertise could not be higher in the lighting design field. And I think what makes them so important for our conversation and for our lighting design industry is that they underline and support their work with actual research and education as both are heavily involved in education at Parsons and at Pratt. Furthermore, Francesca is the vice president of the DLFNY, the Designers Lighting Forum of New York. And the DLFNY is contributing and doing a lot of good things. But one thing we speak about is that they are organizing events of best of the best projects in New York City from Carnegie Hall to special exhibitions at the Metropolitan Museum here. And last but not least, we speak about their current love project. Guanas, the neighborhood in Brooklyn, is going to be restructured by city planning and they show and exemplify in a great way how you as a lighting designer can actually make a real impact by a study that they conduct at the moment to give guided recommendations. They still have some volunteer spots open, so if you would like to get socially involved as a lighting designer, contact them, say hi, and enjoy. Welcome everyone to this week's Light Lounge. I am sitting here with um, the wonderful Francesca Bastianini and Alex Papas-Kalba, right? Yep. Um, we sit here in a beautiful brick uh, brick warehouse, old warehouse building in, in Carroll Garden, uh, crisp cold weather outside in between Christmas and New Year's. How are you? Very well, and thank you for coming. Yeah, we're great. Thank you so much. So this is um, um, like a very uh, special episode because sort of the first time I'm speaking to two people at the same time, and, and I'm, very, I'm very excited about that. Um, so Bastian, Bastianini and um, Papas Calva are um, sound like not naturally American names. Would you like to share a little bit about where where you are potentially coming from, how you went into lighting, and how you are? Yeah, what? Where are you from? Who are you? <laughs> sure. So Francesco Bastianini. It's an Italian name. I am uh, was born and grew up in Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, my mother's American, so a roundabout international mutt that uh, arrived in the U.S. to go to college. I uh, was studying theater and psychology as an undergrad, and in the theater, always doing lighting. Lighting was the thing that drew my focus, that drew my interest, uh, although my plan was to be a psychologist. That's what I thought I was going to do. Uh, I kept on following that path all the way through a master's in psychology. And oh, wow. it was an understanding while I was working with clients that that wasn't the right role and that the lighting design that I was doing in the theater on the side 
was more what I should be focusing on. And so that shift um, was sort of formally addressed when I came to New York and went to Parsons, which is where I met Alexandra. <laughs> so yeah, you have been you have been students at the same time. We were we were classmates in the graduate MFA lighting program. Yep. We sat right next to each other in studio and liked each other enough. To and hang like, out. yeah, and we we always talked about someday we're going to start a studio. Someday, someday, and that day came. Well, I think it's a great <laughs> I think it's a great time to to start a studio, and we will speak about your studio uh, in a bit. Alex, where you are? Where where? Um, I Pappas is Greek. Uh, my dad's side is Greek. I'm second generation Greek American, I guess, but I'm I'm pretty American. Um, I would, grew up in Miami, Florida, and I was in high, in high school. I was in the drama club, and I was sitting in the theater one day, um, waiting to do a monologue or something. And this guy uh, called out to me and said, "Hey, you! You're not doing anything. Come here and help me with the lights." <laughs> And so I was like, with the lights, what are you talking about? And he took me up to the catwalk and we started focusing Lico's, like the old like six by nine, rusty old Lico's. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And the rest is history. I, I studied in undergrad, I studied um, theater tech design and technology and business law to appease the parents, um, and then uh, went and worked in theater for a few years, and then sort of got sick of sitting in the black box and wanted to expand yeah. to a more accessible, um, open project work and, and, and stuff like that. So I went back to school to Parsons to get a degree in architectural lighting. And then met Francesca and went off, I, I went off to work for Linnea Tillett's firm for several years, mm -hmm. which was incredible. Um, and then two years ago, we sort of mutually convinced each other to start a, our own lighting studio. <laughs> what is, where, of course, where we are in right now. And do I pronounce it? So I, I would pronounce the name with like a lot of energy. I would say like Psyched Studio. Is this how I pronounce it correctly? It's 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 site studio, and it would the genesis of the idea for the name was this combination of site s i t e like project site right. and i site s i g h t, yeah. and um, it was one of in a long Hundreds. long long list of options that we I mean honestly the hardest part about starting a business is picking a name <laughs> that was the hardest part. Um, And we, we just were like spinning our wheels and couldn't decide and couldn't decide and couldn't decide. And then we like, we started getting work and we were like, <laughs> all right, we got, we got to just pick one and go for it. because we got to get all our documents in line. Did, did you have, what were, what were the top three or was there like a name you were like challenge, challenge like we have, we had lists of hundreds, I, oh, wow. I think. And we would, every time we met sort of like go through them and, oh, we should do this and we should do that. The, the idea of site studio or the site by site, the things, bringing these things together, that in the end was amongst the top and trying to figure out a way, oh, could we do something that had both of them? Yeah. And in the end... 
I I see it. So Alex is like unfolding here like paper stacks of like it looks like chart. mind map flow chart. Beautiful. These are beautiful. These are our archive um, wow. documents of the the genesis of Site Studio. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, I think that that describes I think a lot of things you and I made the experience a little bit as well as at a certain point you just have to pick something and just go with it, right? Mm -hmm. To sort of make um, steps forward. Do you have the feeling that your experience in psychology in interacting with clients or even potentially with Alex in a day-to-day -day business that you, okay, I, I have something that I heard or read or studied like how is it something that you, are there potentially tools that you use engaging with people? I think as I was shifting over and I felt a loss at like all the knowledge that I had gained in both working with clients and, and being in school, um, shifted to a realization that it's not a loss of knowledge. You work with people every day. Working with clients definitely requires patience and understanding and empathy and compassion and that's true in all of our interactions day to day yeah um, I also realized that my interest or even my fascination with psychology was understanding people in their interactions and their motivations and that's something that we apply to all our projects because what we want is to create spaces for people to interact with or to inhabit so None of that gets lost. It just gets translated in a different way. Right. Um, one of the, the things that I'm truly grateful for is that Alex and I were able to meet that the timing worked, that we both wanted to try. I had been working at Lumen Architecture where I learned a lot, and I, I loved that space. Um, I wanted to grow and do different things, and this opportunity was a risk I was really willing to take because Alex is a great friend and I was also hopeful that we could create that, that take that friendship into a business partnership that would be fruitful and where I think we're very complementary to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's something that I, I really value and I'm excited about. We're potentially like on a more professional level, like the, the business law side from your point might come in as well. Yes, it's true. Um, I mean, it was long ago now that I studied business law, but you know, a basic understanding of contracts and agreements and, and you know, um, all that stuff has certainly been very helpful. And I've, I've kind of sort of just fallen into more of the administrative capacity yeah. in the studio, um, which I, which I like, <laughs> which is surprising, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm the like, I'm the organized, efficient yeah. bulldog <laughs> of the studio. <laughs> and Francesca is the kind of like social representative. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yes, speaking of complementary yeah. to each other. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, of social, I, um, for disclosure, of course, I was a student um, from, from Francesca um, in school, actually. But furthermore, we had one or two engagements in um, the DLFNY. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so the DLFNY is, would you like, would you, would you be able to share a little bit what the DLFNY is, um, what, what sort of the vision of the, of the community is, and um, I heard you recently got announced to be the, the president of the, is this correct? The, yes, yeah. that's Madam President. <laughs> If you could refer to her, please. So the DLFNY. So in, in the inter, in in your introductions from yourself, you I think you completely undervalued your, undervalued yourself because <laughs> you're doing so many things at the same time that I'm I'm trying to be carefully unveiling and revealing like things. That's so. true. We're both extreme overachievers. I would <laughs> say <laughs> we are we are most definitely overachievers um, and have a hard time saying no to opportunities, um, big and small. Um, But I also think, and I'll, I'll sort of tie it in, that we started our lighting practice as Site Studio, not to just open any other studio, but to be able to have it open to new opportunities, um, which include being so socially engaged, which include research, which include education. And so that, even though it seems like all these disparate things, they're still all related to a love and a passion um, for sharing ideas and for being able to bring in different ways of practicing. And then I'll come back to the designer's lighting form of New York, the DLFNY, is a professional organization. Um, it has a national presence, but the, the chapters sort of function independently. So the DLF chapter in New York, um, we are a volunteer-based uh, organization with a board of directors and Its mission is to provide uh, experiences of light through monthly programs, um, support, uh, supporting lighting education. And we have a very vibrant membership that loves to come to our programs every month and is very excited about engaging with, um, with the presenters. So our typical program is a completed lighting project in the New York City area. Mm -hmm. So we take advantage of having such a vibrant and right. New York community where we can ask our, our lighting designers to come and present something that has been completed and speak to us about the process. We so often focus on the final award or the final pictures or the yeah. final thing. And it, We don't always get to see the space or experiencing it, yeah. which is the whole point of light. You don't really get a sense of it until you can you can be part of, of that space. And we also get to hear the positive, the negative. You know, what changed? We very, very, um, as designers, know that it's often um, not the, the design doesn't stay the same from when we conceptualize it to when right. it's completed. Yeah. So how did things change? Because things change on the project. The, the goals of the project changed. It was value engineering. How did those things translate? What was the interaction with the other team members? Uh, and then there's also a social aspect to it. We have students. We have professionals, not just lighting designers, but interior designers, architects, who come and get to see each other every month. Yeah. Um, and then we also have contributions to lighting education, Uh, the schools in the New York City area that have lighting programs or lighting classes, as well as other um, projects around the world. I know that, yeah. you know, being able to 
to contribute to the, the postscopes, the Recreo de Noche was something that we were able to do recently. Yeah. Have I don't know. I I get very excited about it because it is for me a way that we really get to engage with the community and the work that we do. Yeah. So, so the monthly sort of get-togethers are these the looking at specific sites. What were, for example, so just painting a little bit the picture. So the DLFNY organizes events where you would allow and create opportunities for designers and people who would be interested to see specific projects that have been finalized with the high focus on lighting design mm -hmm. and explain, the designer often would explain um, like what the vision was and how it ended up. What were your like favorite moments? Because the, the locations are from, I think, uh, now I'm getting like a little fuzzy from like the Met was, uh, no, sorry, the, the Met, the, um, yeah. ex the exhibition uh, Manus Ex Machina was like, uh, was one, but there was, there were so many, I think Carnegie Hall was a part as yep. well. So they're like, what were your, your favorite ones that you completely not prepared out of your head? You thought these were, and of course. I don't know. So I'm, yeah. I'm currently the president. I've been on the board for several years, um, but I've been a, a member since I was a student. And so this was, even as a student, was a way for me to get engaged with the lighting community. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of, of ones that I've, I've loved over the years. We have one which is, is kind of a different program, but we do a lighting debate every year, which we call Taking Sides, and we do it at different schools every, um, every year. Nice. And get professionals from the lighting community. Alex participated as one of the debaters last year. <laughs> and we have the debaters talk about points of view that are not necessarily their own. A little bit of a tongue-in-cheek play, but yeah. it, it's, it's, it's fun, and we get people to, to sort of come and, and not take themselves so seriously. Because yeah. I know that sometimes we can be very serious about lighting. Um, I think um, other projects, you know, we have been able to, even our, our, our opening event this year was um, a cruise around the, the edge of, of Manhattan to look at the skyline and how it's changed as, as LEDs have taken over as the primary light source for the nighttime environment. Yeah. And had a historian um, sort of speak to that. Nice. And so yeah. it was on any day, a boat trip around, like a nighttime boat trip around Manhattan is going to be beautiful. But then to also have it with the context of lighting yeah. uh, was a really special experience. And so... We have events like that. We also have been able to do things like the the 9-11 memorial years ago um, when it first opened, and we were able to have um, the designers from FMS as well as the manufacturers who had made custom fixtures to be able to make that memorial such a special space. Yeah. And I remember that being something that was sort of having access to these moments that are, are part of the New York City landscape but also important in terms of how we memorialize spaces, how we create environments that are open for the public and have a significant emotional um, weight to them. Yeah. Um, 
in the in the discussion where do you think my question is alluding to i think the lighting community in itself is something is just absolutely wonderful and super friendly and now i'm getting a little bit controversial maybe a little bit too soft how do you have like a feeling that sometimes like let me phrase it as like an open word or potential criticism of course there is something you never know you, it's always hard to judge other projects but mm -hmm. in a world of design it's a natural process that we try to evaluate different outcomes and most of the time you never know if like the developer or uh, value engineering cut down an amazing design feature and ended up not as good as it was intended to be by the designer do you think it would be helpful to be a little bit more let's say more more harsh in the environment not harsh that's the wrong word mm. but like open criticism is this something that you think would help or do you is this something hmm. the lighting design community is actually very good at to be very rational and very positive around i mean ooh, this is a very interesting question yeah. because you know in a sense there is somewhat of a kind of peer review happening when we talk when we think about the awards that are given out yeah. the lumen awards and the dark awards and you know ILD awards and all that stuff for mm -hmm. you know the great projects of the year and so we like we're certainly recognizing the best work um, but one thing that does mi is missing from the lighting community in general, not just New York, but everywhere, I think, is is the kind of, like, architectural discourse um, and criticism that's really prevalent in architecture, I think. And part of that may be because the history of architecture is much yeah. longer and grander, and there are specific rules that have been set up over hundreds and thousands of years, and, and you know, the schools of thought have been discussed and written about and thought about and intellectualized and abstracted and you know movements and all this stuff and and lighting is is kind of like a, a baby um and we don't really have that canon of research or um history to kind of compare new work to you yeah. know where does this new work fit yeah. in the history of lighting design um so, I don't know what am I trying to say. Maybe let me let me <laughs> let me let me re reframe the fr the question and maybe segue a little bit into education, as you are both very engaged in, mm -hmm. um, yeah, in in education and the lighting design educational community in New York. Is this something you foster potentially in your work you do in class that you? Would you consider yourself being like more supportive or are you trying to challenge the students in, in a lot of ways where you potentially say, like, okay, this is, you have to rethink this and come back in an hour? Oh, yeah. I mean, in school, it's, I mean. Francesca's smiling. We're like, <laughs> what are you thinking? All the, no, <laughs> um, uh, certainly. And I mean, that is something that we try to engage our students in is is critique of the environment that they're inhabiting and we do a lot of projects where we send them out into the city to look at precedent studies and and you know their first project is to go out and observe lighting phenomenon 
um, that they come across and then abstracted and re-represented in some physical form. But um, so it's really important for young designers, especially, to just pay attention. Yeah. Like you just have to pay attention and you have to be critical. Not everything is great. In fact, there's a lot of really terrible, awful stuff. Um, in terms of the the community, to me, I don't I don't necessarily see value in peer criticism of finished work. Yeah. Because I think we you know like we just talked about so many things happen that you don't have control over during the construction and design mm. process that you do the best you can. Yeah. Um, but I certainly feel that it is warranted for us to be considering critically city planning mm. and zoning and codes and lighting codes and all of these decisions that are being made that that govern what we do um, as lighting designers. And um, I think it's also really important to be critical um, of the way that lighting is discussed and talked about in, in the general public um, and how it is very often forgotten. And so that's, that's a big push for us of why we are so interested in education and research is to, to get the message out there that light is essential and important and that when it's done right, everything is better. Yeah, and we we educate every day with our clients. It's not it's not a mm-hmm. we it's not that we go to the studio um, to school and with students and say okay now we're educating and then we come back to the office yeah. and say we're done with that. That's yeah. it's it's useful for us because it allows us to think about the way that we're speaking about lighting and the the sort of the constructed environment in different ways and have different conversations with, okay, this student doesn't understand this uh, phenomena. How else can we communicate it? How else, what other method, not just verbal, but written and graphic, can we communicate this idea and make sure that it's clear? But we do that with every single project. Yeah. And because lighting is not top of mind for most people, Mm. it's, and for the majority, it's, it's, a reference that we have to make sure that we're on the same page with every client before we can start. Yeah. So getting, getting uh, that conversation um, as the the beginning of every project is important. Yeah. So maybe maybe then I I take my my question back of like being to criticize more and after what you just said, do I understand it right that if, like a like a good reflected opinion is something that mm-hmm. is absolutely important to have, right? Mm-hmm. That as a designer, you walk around and you you can decide for yourself if this is something you like or you don't like. And given all the different um, aspects of lighting and rules, what is good, what is bad, what could have been better is an important thing to do for potentially your own work. Oh, um, of course, yeah. What is... Um, what is since how long have you been teaching? Uh, <laughs> six or seven years. Yeah, I'm a little less. I th- three three years, three years studio, and and then I co-taught a lecture class a few years before that. Yeah, I've taught at, at Pratt in the interior design program, and I've taught at Parsons in a a few different courses. What um, what is the what? What is something that you take away from it the most? 
Is there like something, for example, a key finding that you made while teaching and you could apply in your professional work? Or is it more... I think one of the things that Alex brought up is, is very, I would second, because I think it's, it's very important, is being, um, paying attention to your environment. Just the, the process of learning how to observe, how to observe light and how it interacts in our environments is not something that everybody knows how to do. Yeah. And as you're learning about lighting, building that vocabulary, building that understanding, and then yeah. being able to name it, have the vocabulary, the specificity around what's going on uh, is something that you have to, to, to learn and something that I get really excited when students start to say, oh, I understand how this is working. And it doesn't diminish their enjoyment or their experience of it. It's right. just that they now can not only understand it, but then represent it and communicate it to others. Yeah. And then they can do whatever they want with it. But that observation is really key. Mm -hmm. And the difference, I think, also then learning how to be, how to analyze it and be critical of it uh, is just a way to, that they can then process it and not just regurgitate it. There's a difference, I think, between being judgmental of other people's work and being critical of other yeah. people's work. Absolutely. And that happens in education and it happens professionally as well. Mm. We need to be critical so that we can learn from others, from the environment that we're in, from the natural phenomena that we experience. And instead of being judgmental and saying, oh, that's, that's no good. Yeah. What, what use is that? Absolutely, yeah. So. Sorry, that, that's my, my, um, my big thing in terms of, of education. People are all sorts of designers, and they don't just go on from lighting programs or lighting classes to become lighting designers. But if they have a wider vocabulary and ability to observe, then whatever they do, whoever, if I interact with them in the future as a colleague, we're going to have a better conversation and, and there's a result of better design. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a few things that I really value about teaching. One is um, it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me current. I, you know, I have to pay attention to all the latest and greatest literature and research and design because I have to know what I'm talking about when I'm talking to the students. Um, so it's definitely a motivator for me in, in really staying current and paying attention. Um, there's, there's also, there's a ton of value in, um, talking to a student about a lighting problem and them coming at, them, them coming to an approach that is just like something I never would have mm -hmm. thought of. That's just from such a different place. Um, you know, because we have students who were, you know, who have no knowledge of design at all, who come from finance, right. who come from, you know, geography, you know, all kinds of different fields. And so the, the kind of problem solving that they bring to, to lighting is fascinating to me. And it's like, whoa, I never would have thought about that. And sometimes it's like, that will never work. Um, but sometimes it's, you're like, oh, actually, yeah, that could work. It's very interesting. So, you know, it's sort of, it can be eye-opening and very yeah. inspiring to work with, um, to work with students. Um, 
and you know, and there, you know, there's there's a pro- when when they do well, and when like what Jess was saying, when they get it, and when they solve the problem, and when they get excited, and when they produce some beautiful work, there, you know, there's certainly a, a pride aspect to that of you know, oh, and maybe this is the mom in me that's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my little students are doing so well. <laughs> yeah. But but those two things, I think, the kind of inspiring points of view and um, the the kind of forcing us to to be current are really what I find the most value in. Yeah. So as you have, um, how long does Psyched Studio exist? When did you? July of 2016. So yeah. two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. yeah. What would be an ideal uh, graduate student for you look like um, that you would be interested in hiring them? Probably everything what we just talked about, yeah. being yeah. a reflected opinion, like mm-hmm. a person with an opinion, but still being able to... Sorry, I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, no, and, and this is sort of top of the mind for us because we just, we just hired someone in November. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, the, the software knowledge and the sort of technical skills and all that is, you know, is great and important and lovely. But for, for me, it's really... Um, someone who's gonna who's interested and passionate enough to make effort, you know, to take initiative, to to raise their hand and say, you know, what do you mean, and what is this, and you know, someone who's really paying attention and um, uh, is go- is not just gonna sit there and wait for us to hand AGI calculations to them. Yeah. And someone who's like just cool because we're a small <laughs> office and like we're sit real close together and we are around each other all you know we're not we don't have little pods we're one room we're all here we all chat all day long so you know somebody who we can just get along with is pretty important too. <laughs> yeah. Most no, likely. it's and it's also it's initiative for sure. Just the idea that you're not going to uh, be given a task and complete it and turn it back. It's, I'm going to think through, does this make sense to me? Yeah. Based on the knowledge I have, what are the questions? Does it look right? Does it not look right? What else can I do with it? Yeah. You know, learning um, means that like, you're going to try things, you're going to make mistakes, and we're, we're here for that. But then you're also you're going to try new things, that, as we talked about it, with regards to education, that a different approach to to problems so that yeah. we're not just like Alex and I are complementary to each other. We don't want sort of a, a cookie cutter same yeah. person. Right. Um, yeah. Confidence without arrogance is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and communication, you know, they like not only talking to us, but is this someone that I can send to a job site and they can talk to a contractor and not necessarily, of course, know all the answers to all the questions, but but at least be able to interact with them in a in a you know sort of positive way that pushes the project forward. Yeah, general curiosity. Yeah, uh, and I think somebody who who wants to learn things who may not, you know, their their love and passion might be lighting but it might also involve something else and that something else brings um, other skills to 
to their life and to the studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have mm-hmm. also, you know, the fact that we're interested in research and how that can be the evidence-based design and participatory design and how that can be folded back into not just our, our practice, but um, how somebody who's coming into the office might be uh, able to contribute to that. Yeah. Or expand it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, at the graduate level, you know, I really, you should be bringing ideas to the table. Yeah. It, you know, you, yeah. Sh- you, you should be very active in your education and then hence into your, you know, your first jobs out of grad school. You should be an active participant, not a passive person. Okay, so maybe we are sort of um, trying to to uh, guide into the into the end of the conversation to be mindful with your with your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a variety of different projects you're working on right now. Um, the last time I met uh, Francesca at one of the social events, not saying that you're not social, but meeting Francesca. <laughs> not social. <laughs> Alex is so social. <laughs> I'm a pregnant mom. <laughs> Uh, we talked. Uh, we talked about a research project, an analysis project in mm-hmm. the area that I now completely forgot. Would you Would you share a little bit about that? Because I think that's another important project worth mentioning, where you pay attention to your environment and your surrounding to potentially do something good out of it. Yeah, I mean, we one one thing. I'll I'll, I'll start by saying that. Our, our office is located in, in Gowanus, Brooklyn, and it's a neighborhood that we are pretty, I would say, in, in love with for different, beautiful, different yeah. reasons. <laughs> um, we have a longstanding relationship with it, either having lived here, socialized here, and it. Um, when we started the office, it was a great opportunity to be able to think about what was going on in the neighborhood and start to um, interact with it differently and I'm let you oh, sure <laughs> sure yeah I mean it's you know Gowanus is a fascinating neighborhood in New York City it's um, uh, it's uh, it's it edges the Gowanus Canal which is a you know century old industrial um, waterway that has been heavily heavily polluted Uh, for over 100 years Um, and uh, it's a mix of high-end residential um, uh, low-income public housing in heavy industrial light industrial commercial retail you know there's bodegas and there are you know michelin star restaurants um, all within this little sort of narrow enclave around this, you know, disgusting polluted waterway. <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, disclosure, I lived in Gowanus um, for a few years um, um, and uh, now our office is situated here. And so we, you know, we have our own sort of personal history with it. Um, but the research project sort of came from uh, our desire to have input and say in a rezoning process that is happening mm-hmm. right now. So um, oh, about 10 years ago, the federal government came in and declared Gowanus, the canal, a Superfund site. 
which essentially means that it's so heavily polluted that it needs federal funds and resources to clean it up. Wow. So they dedicated a ton of money to to clean up the canal, and, and essentially as soon as that happened, the developers swooped in um, and started buying up parcels around the canal because they knew that at some point it was going to become, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Venice of Brooklyn, right? <laughs> Waterfront property. Yeah. Um, and, you know, over, over a few mayoral administrations now, um, there's been a huge development push. And um, one of the things that this, you know, this sort of contingent of developers is trying to do is change the, the zoning of the neighborhood so that they can build high-end, high-rise high high residential. Um, in an area that has typically been low-rise, industrial, commercial, um, full of fabricators and makers and artists, and um, uh, where there, you know, there's been a lot of great jobs in this area. Um, and uh, so the the developers are coming in. They want to push all that out. Put in r- giant towers on this new, what will be newly beautiful, pristine waterfront property. And um, in order to do that, the whole neighborhood has to be rezoned. So there's these, you know, there's multiple sides in the issue. Um, You know, there are people who are just like, no, we can't do this. We have to, you know, save Gowanus and maintain its character. Mm -hmm. And the people who already live here and work here are... And then there are, you know, the people who are like, no, you know, we can put up towers and make tons of money. And then there are people who are sort of in the middle of like, you know, progress is progress and the city is going to develop and it's going to happen regardless of what we do. But let's let's just make sure it's done with the most thought and compassion that that can be done with. And that's sort of where we live, I think, in terms of our philosophy is New York City is changing all the time. Um, but let's make sure that as we change it, we think we really think about it and that we really we do it as best we can. So this research study is essentially a, a, a large-scale mapping of lighting in the neighborhood, qualitative and quantitative. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about illuminance measurements, luminance measurements of sources and facades and streets, um, as well as um, more sort of subjective, I might say, I guess you could say, um, yeah, qualitative. findings of, you know, where where is it scary? Where is it? Um, where does it feel icky? Where do I not want to go? And then, like, where are there moments of real delight? And, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and particularly focused on the nighttime street context. Okay. So the public right away at night. Got it. Um, so it's supposed to be sort of the base for f- f- further development, and the client is the city the client, or is the neighborhood the client? No, there's no is... client. This was completely self. Uh, we, we, wow. Yes, it's grant-funded research. We we did it ourselves, <laughs> but the you know the sort of short-term goal being we collect all this data. We have a real clear picture yes. of the nighttime lighting quality in the public right away. Yeah, and it allows us to then make judgments and recommendations 
to the city planning council to include in the rezoning process? Well, that sounds like real so social engagement without... Yeah, yeah. We, we are not developers. We do not have money to say this is what the city is yeah. going to look like. But how, as designers and members of the community, do we get to interact with the future um, of the city? Yeah. And this is one way that we can utilize our, our expertise, both, you know, when, when we've discussed this with other members of, of Gowanus, and there's many other people who are involved mm -hmm. in this effort to have a say in what the, the rezoning will look like, they said, oh, we never thought about lighting. Which is not something uh, new yeah. to us. We hear that all the time. It's, yeah. know, it's, it's so it's fascinating to me that in especially in New York City where we live so much of our lives at night mm. outside, yeah. that people are like, "Oh yeah, nighttime, mm. huh?" <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. yeah. So we we took that on as well. We can do this. We know how to do this, and we're able to get some funding to get this project started. Um, the part-time research faculty funding. Uh, from Parsons, uh, and that allowed us to get equipment and provide us with some of the um, the, the startup. We had our, our first series of surveys in the fall mm -hmm. uh, with the assistance of some of the current uh, Parsons Lighting students, and um, that's... That's where we are right now. We are we are sitting in a pile of, of data that we are now <laughs> starting to analyze right. and, and and put together to be able to create a report during yeah. the the rezoning um, public comment period. Um, so there is the there is a period coming coming where the, your data will be there's a there's a I don't I don't know a high chance that people are having the the study and are actually looking at it and mm -hmm. will be okay yeah yeah yes that's the goal and it's it's um you know in all truthfulness it's it's unrequested yeah you know we're just we're just gonna put it out there and hope that you know hope that uh, an advocate for the city to pay attention to it um but yeah essentially the city will be um issuing the the, the zoning plan this winter And then there'll be an open public comment period where anybody at all can comment on the zoning. Yeah. Um, and and of we'll course, be directing yeah. our comments, particularly about the what's said about lighting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The better the research or the better the, 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 the document in the end is, the more likely people will listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally I mean, that's, that, that's a big part of it is that, you know, like I was saying earlier, that there's no sort of lighting canon you yeah. know there's no lighting history or very little lighting history and so in order to be sort of taken seriously and to make sure that we have the kind of like backup for what we're saying yeah. we yeah. thought it was really important to be able to to document the existing conditions yeah. um very broadly not just how many foot candles are on the sidewalk but yeah. you know much much greater yeah. more in-depth information and And beyond this report and the rezoning, we are hoping to do another set of, of um, survey evenings in the spring, at that point incorporating um, volunteers from that are, are students that live and, and study in Gowanus. Mm -hmm. um, and 
part of the goals for that is that lighting may not be their cup of tea or may not be their end goal, but that lighting is an entry point so that they can have uh, a, a way to advocate about their environment that they, they live in and that they um, can then say, we are, we've learned about these conditions in, in our environment and we can have, uh, these are the conclusions that we've drawn, yeah. that they can then apply that to any other form of advocacy yeah. for their environment. Are you still looking for people to support and participate? Yes. <laughs> yes, and I, I also want to give a big shout out to a couple of community people, members and organizations that have been really helpful and supportive of us. One is um, David Briggs at the Gowanus Atlas. He's an architect who also runs a nonprofit organization called Gowanus by Design, where he's he's also interested in this sort of like mapping mm -hmm. idea of the neighborhood yeah. in an architectural and a historic context. Um, the Guanas Canal Conservancy, which is a conservancy group who are doing amazing things to clean up, maintain the neighborhood and get the community involved and, and sort of uh, provide these stewardship opportunities. And then Zach Martin at Trellis, who is a pastor and community organizer in the neighborhood who um, does amazing things to, to help uh, community youth um, with volunteer and job opportunities and, and all kinds of great um, advocacy in the neighborhood. Yeah. I think it's an absolutely amazing project and I think it's, um, it just shows how amazing the work you're doing and bringing sort of everything together is by looking at the society and how people are getting more, more into their own homes, into their own lives and not sort of caring anymore but that's actually the the trend that we need to go back to that we care about our community that we engage mm -hmm. in our community in order to make things uh, better and in the end we all have have a better a higher quality of life with it yeah. that was very very lovely um i will of course put down um, the contact information for psych studio um I think the DLFNY is something to mention, and um, if anyone is um, willing to support sort of your mission and your work, um, I'm I, yeah. time and money, either one, time <laughs> and or money. <laughs> I think one thing it's speaking about the community and transportation. The MTA, what I think is absolutely amazing, is when you recharge your MTA card, it always is asking for, do you want to add time or do you want to add mm -hmm. value? What is, I think, it, it, it can be a deeper meaning, or if you mm -hmm. want to, you can read a deeper meaning, what is very lovely. But thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it, and um, I am sure we see each other very soon at any kind of event, and I hope that you will get more volunteers and more people will be able to listen uh, to, your, to your work and see what you're doing. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Of yes. course. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And that was the conversation I had with the wonderful Francesca and Alex from Psyched Studio. Um, I will put down their contact details if you are interested to get involved and volunteer for the beautiful reconstruction of Guanas and their research project. There is plenty to learn, to do, and um, it's just a wonderful project if you would like to engage and actually contribute to something very meaningful. 
What to say? 2018 has been a tremendous year. Um, so many things happened, um, and I am thrilled to have you listening. And I'm very excited that you're part of the journey. And I'm very excited to be in the lighting design industry. Um, I wish you all beautiful, beautiful days with your family and friends and a beautiful 2019. Very exciting things are going to happen and I speak to you very soon. Much love here from Brooklyn, Thomas.